0: When we're clear, when we're rested and able to get clear, we are able to tap into more of what we care about. We are more aware of what we value. And when we are standing in the truth of what we value, the world begins to reorganize itself around us. In other words, we're not having to be out there doing all the things in the world. The world actually begins to restructure itself around you. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent. The place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Welcome back. It is your messy and magnificent gal in residence, Carly, over here. I remember being... About 11 or 12 years old, the first time I had a full-on hot frustration tear meltdown because I felt like I couldn't keep up with the pace that everybody else was going at. I remember just breaking down, curling up in a ball on my mom's lap. She sat in my bed and just heard me pour out from the depth of my heart how tired I was, how mundane everything felt, and how everybody else seemed to keep on going, but I couldn't keep up. And this would not be the last time I would have a full-on breakdown. But I remember when that happened, my mother did a bold thing. She instituted a policy in our house called Mental Health Days. And from there on out, Any of us kiddos, two days a year, could decide that we needed a mental health day in order to reset ourselves. And that was revolutionary. We didn't have to explain it and we didn't have to wait until we got sick. We had permission to rest just because it was something we needed. Now, as I've gotten older, I've noticed, however, that I continue to see the same pattern even though I'm already the most rested woman in the room. There are still moments where I think, How is this freaking possible? Compared to everybody else here, Carly, you get more rest than the average person. How is it that you still feel like some days you need more? And then it occurred to me, who in the world have I been comparing myself to? Because our cultural norm is either to get very little permission to rest. We do have to either get sick, injured, or something catastrophic has to happen for us to feel like it's okay to lean back for a moment. Or we know people who do the fits and starts with rest, where we try to rest for a little bit or carve out a little time for ourselves, maybe take a day or a week off, but then the second you get back to your normal routine, you have so much to catch up on, and the next thing you know, you're working even harder than before you left. And so that's what I was comparing my level of rest to. I was holding the bar of rest against the cultural norm, which is very little, if any. So of course I needed more than the average person. And so today, if you are ever having the hunch that, oh my gosh, I need more rest than I am getting, this is the episode for you. In fact, this episode is really the crux, the entire thing that I have built my business around. And we're gonna go over a very specific framework that's gonna help you understand why rest in the 21st century, it's not a luxury. It's not something we need to earn or work towards. And I'll talk about that. Women who are thriving right now, They are the women that are rested more than the average person. So I want to make sure we go over two very specific categories today. The first is I'm going to explain why it is that rest has actually become a professional asset in the 21st century. This has to do with the shifting of our modern economy. So what used to work does not necessarily work now. And what is working is what I want to share with you. And second, I'm going to go over how you can start having more rest in your days. Because odds are you already want more rest, right? And of course, if you had the free time to do it, you'd be doing it, duh. So I want to make sure you have the time to get the rest you're craving. So I'm going to give you three very doable ways to have more time to rest or to nourish yourself or to reset your mental game. And when I say permission to rest, I am not granting you permission, though of course I'm extending it as an offering. I am hoping you will give yourself permission to rest because at the end of the day, nobody else is gonna consistently offer us space to breathe. This is a type of permission we grant ourselves. And when I say permission to rest, I mean permission to rest even if you didn't finish that project you're working on yet. Permission to rest even if everyone is working hard around you. Permission to rest even if you did get good sleep last night. And permission to rest if your friends are going out or if there's still emails in your inbox or if you haven't completed all those to-dos on your list yet. And permission to rest even if you're scared of being lazy. And then this one. This is the one that hits home a lot in my practice. Giving ourselves permission to rest even if you feel like you don't deserve it. And we are going to talk about the physiological reason why you might not ever think that you deserve rest, that there's something bigger going on than just wanting it. And if we understand what that is, this is when we really get permission to relax. So I cannot ex- wait, we're going to jump in now to explaining why is it that rest is an essential practice in the 21st century and then what are the doable ways? Specifically, I like, let's make this really practical, that you can have the time and space to rest. And of course, as always happens here in the Messy and Magnificent podcast, here I am recording this episode. And yesterday I was looking at the reviews on iTunes and listened to what somebody wrote. Pride of Pittsfield said, thanks for showing us new solutions. It is so exciting to think that with self-care, we can actually clarify and strengthen our commitment to the right path for ourselves, rather than worrying if we're not constantly in motion that we will lose the ability to find it. Also, they said, thanks for being honest about the fact that sometimes motivation can leave the building. And that is the time to remember your values and do the next small thing. Pride of Pittsfield, how in the world did you know that we were about to record an entire episode <laughs> about rest? The synchronicity here is amazing, and you are right. Self-care is actually the tool that we can use to clarify our vision going forward so that we no longer have to do all the things. And that's one of the ways we reclaim time, and today we're gonna to go through a few more of those. So I just wanna to say to Pride of Pittsfield and everybody else who's leading in comments on iTunes or wherever you listen in, Thank you so much. When you guys tag me in your social media and you tell me what part of the episode stands out for you, I get to create more content around what we know will be of service to you. And if I'm frank, I know that I cannot bring this kind of information to as many women as possible without your help. So thank you for standing with me. Thank you for sharing these episodes with the people you care about, posting them on your social media or talking about them when you're in a meeting or in the grocery store and making sure that all women have what they need in order to thrive. So I wanna share another personal story as if I'm not personal enough. This is a pivotal moment for me when I finally realized that when I rest, my world doesn't actually fall apart. So a few years ago, my former fiance, Adam, got sick and he passed away suddenly. In about two weeks, he left his body. And this was at a time when I was really reinventing my business model. I had a lot of work to do. It was right around the holiday season. I had a nephew being born and I was so understandably devastated that I could not pretend that I was okay. I couldn't. I couldn't hold it together. I fell asleep crying at night. I woke up already crying. My body was crying before my eyes even opened. And there was no way I could pretend everything was okay. And I remember even being in the grocery store and somebody that I knew, an acquaintance that I knew said, oh, hey, Carly, how are you? It was the first time I'd left the house in two weeks after he passed. And I burst into tears right there. Like I totally lost my stuff right there in the checkout line. I remember the poor young guy trying to check out my groceries, had no idea what to do. I couldn't speak. I couldn't answer. And this is a big deal because I have always been the person that has it super together. I am the one with the plan. I am the responsible one that other people would come to because I could give advice or be a kind, respectful, non-judgmental, listening ear. I am the leader of my business and in my world. And in my mind, leaders needed to have it all together and be working really hard all the time. And for the first time in my life, I couldn't fake it. Up until that point, I was a master at pretending to have it all together, even on the days when I didn't or coming across that way. And so I had to scale back to the absolute essentials for my business, which in that moment was taking care of my existing clients. And I knew that I could still show up to be on the phone with my clients because usually we're on the phone for about an hour session. And I thought, I will show up for that because it was frankly a nice respite for me. It was nice for me to get out of my head for a moment and just be present to somebody else. But I wasn't going to be able to do anything more than that. Forget about sending emails, forget about new work projects. And this was a time where I really needed to be bringing in more revenue. Like I had taken a big hit when I stopped working solely with celebrities in order to have a career that worked for me and work from home. And I needed to hit the ground running and bring in new revenue streams. And it was just not possible. But here's the interesting thing. At the end of that year, even though for months I did significantly less work than I had normally done not only did i have more clients but we had actually made more money than the year prior we didn't make tons more but we made more and the important thing here is we didn't make less in other words what i found was that when i was leaned back not only did my world not fall apart it actually came back together see when we're clear when we're rested and able to get clear we are able to tap into more of what we care about. We are more aware of what we value. And when we are standing in the truth of what we value, the world begins to reorganize itself around us. In other words, we're not having to be out there doing all the things in the world. The world actually begins to restructure itself around you. And this is not woo-woo, and it's not magic. It is method. There is technique behind this and science behind this that we're gonna go over. But I do want to say, even though it's not magic, it sure as heck feels like it. (laughs) Sure as heck felt like magic when I looked at my financial bottom line at the end of the year, and I saw that we made more money, and that I had more clients, and that I was doing less busy work all at the same time. Now, part of what made it possible for me to sleep at night knowing that I had no idea where the money was going to come from and how things were going to work out was a quote that my mother had shared with me years ago. And I'm noticing just now as I'm talking to you this theme, I need to call my mom after this episode and thank her (laughs) because there is this theme that she has been telling me that it's okay to rest. She shared with me this quote. This comes to us from Melody Beattie in her book, The Language of Letting Go. And in it, Melody says, "'Many of us have learned how to deprive and neglect ourselves.'" Many of us have learned to push ourselves hard when the problem is that we're already pushing too hard. Many of us are afraid the work won't get done if we rest when we're tired. The work will get done. It will be done better than work that emerges from tiredness of soul and spirit. Nurtured, nourished people who love themselves and care for themselves are the delight of the universe. They are well timed, efficient and divinely led. Mm, How powerful is that? When I first learned of this quote, I got out a big piece of poster board and I wrote it down and stuck it on the wall so that I would see it many times every day. And to this day, it is still memorized. This is one of the very few things I can quote without reading. This began to influence the way I would do my work. So I love this quote because it hits something within my soul. And if it does for you too, good. But know that I also love science. So we're going to talk now about the future of our economy and the history of our nervous system. Because for the first time in human evolution for women, these two seemingly separate arenas, our economy and our nervous system are beginning to merge. And if you know how to leverage your nervous system, that is exactly how my clients and I engage our most powerful work without it having to always be our hardest work. So here's just a brief walk through the history of the way our economy has worked. And this is very much the like low scale, low tech Cliff Notes version, right? But we know for a long period of time we had the industrial age right? And the industrial age was a time when we had enough people on the planet to begin working in factories. And we started to clock in and clock out. And up until World War II, this mostly looked like men going to factories for long days of work. And that was possible for them to do because there was somebody else at home to take care of everything else. So either they still lived at home with their parents and their mother was doing their laundry and cooking all their meals, or Maybe they had a spouse and their wife was taking care of the household, the kids, everything else outside of work. And that worked on some level for, for many, many decades. And then we've branched into the information age. And we all know the information age. This was a period of time where, again, it was about collecting information, about clocking in and clocking out. And the more hours of work we put in, the more information we could accumulate, and then make accessible. So it brought us the internet. It brought us these resources that for free or for very low cost, we can all have access to sharing more information. But a few years ago, I was out in Silicon Valley doing some work and they were speaking at a big tech conference that I was at about how we have already begun to leave the information age and we are entering a new age. We are entering the creativity age. See, the creativity age is developing because we have the systems to collect and distribute information. And of course that will continue to grow. Of course that will continue adding on to the pantheon of of information available. But the bulk of those systems or the technology behind making it possible, it's already been built. Now we need creativity. We need creativity because we need solutions to problems, problems in our personal lives or problems in our careers problems between coworkers or departments where you work, and then bigger solutions. We need solutions for resolving things between states or between countries or coming up with environmental solutions when we have, you know, ocean levels rising. And so for the first time in history, the most valuable commodity on the planet is our creativity. And what makes it possible to be creative and find solutions is activating our parasympathetic nervous system, a.k.a. otherwise known as our rest and digest nervous system. Now, you've probably heard, of course, of the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight response. And that's an important part of our nervous system. But not everybody knows about the parasympathetic nervous system. And if you do, woo, I love this. So this is the part of our nervous system that activates when we're in a more rested state and it helps us to digest both literally our stomach becomes more active and we get more nutrients from the food that we're eating. So we actually need to eat less because we get more nutritional value from what's already in our body. But also this is where we digest our ideas. We digest information. And something we talk about a lot in my practice is that we as women do not have very much space digest what is happening in real time. We are going from one thing to the next to the next to the next. There's a lot on our plate. But if we have these moments built in to digest, we think better. We make better decisions. And you can decide at what level that's true for you, but odds are the more space you have to process an idea, the better your steps forward are going to be, right? None of us make great decisions when we're having to wing it or we're stressed out. So what we want to do is begin to activate our parasympathetic nervous system a little bit more. And that happens when we get to slow down. So this is really important because we can no longer give ourselves the myth that we're going to earn the right or the privilege to rest later. In other words, what I'm saying is that rest in our new economy is no longer some nice thing that if we work super hard for, maybe we can do later. It doesn't work like that anymore. In order to stand out as a leader in your own life and come up with the best thoughts, the best solutions, produce the best work or the best results, we actually have to start with the rest. We need to give ourselves permission to do good thinking because good thinking changes everything. So I want to... Get now into the specifics of how to make that doable because you don't need one more person telling you to rest. Those are fighting words. You know, somebody tells you to rest more and of course you want to rest. I don't know about you, but I just want to like kick them in the shin, right? We want to actually know how to rest because I know that your life is full. I want to point this out first because we're about to go over the three specific ways that you can have more time to rest. What I am about to share with you is not complicated. Because having more space to rest is also not complicated. And if that riles you up, oh gosh, sister, I understand, right? Because if somebody had told me years ago when I was doing far too much, hey, come on, you're overcomplicating things, rest. I would have looked at them like they were crazy, like they were bonkers, right? But here's what I found to be true. Telling ourselves that it is too hard to rest or that we'll get to it later or that our lives are too complicated, it is a stalling tactic. Because at our core, the truth is we already know that if we gave ourselves the respect to rest, our lives would change. Your life will change when you give yourself the space to consciously create it. I'm going to say that again. Your life will change for the better when you give yourself the respect to pause and consciously create it. But let's also be real. That can be scary, right? It's scary to know that things might change or be different or that you're going to feel a lot. And I know for me, my numbing mechanism and something I still have to keep an eye on because I can still do it by default if I'm not careful is to overwork. Just so happens that I am i don't numb with alcohol. Lots of people do. I numb with overworking, right? Or, you know, there's all these other ways we numb. Netflix, smoking some weed, buying things with your credit card when you're already in debt or going shopping or just trying to do too many things, right? There's all these different ways. And so it's not just that it might feel uncomfortable to consider giving yourself space to rest. It might actually be triggering trauma. So when I say trauma, I want to give you a little cultural context here, because if you are a human woman living on planet Earth, you have suffered trauma. You are traumatized. And there's two different ways of looking at trauma, right? There's big T traumas that are the really big, obvious, intense things. And then there's little t traumas. And these are the more subtle, but perhaps more consistent forms of trauma that we experience. And I'm going to give you some examples of both of these. But just know that just because I'm putting something in one category or the other doesn't mean it's not the inverse for you. Right. Because just because it might have been a, a small T trauma for some people does not mean it's not a big T trauma for you or vice versa. So there's little T traumas that for, for women, things like watching Dr. Blasey Ford be testifying and being ignored and not being respected. That's a little T trauma or just this general sense that we shouldn't make a fuss. We shouldn't be too emotional. We might be hysterical and thus not taken seriously. We shouldn't rock the boat or being told that we're dressing in such a way that it's going to cause us to be in harm's way, right? If you dress like that, people are going to see you as an easy woman or worse, you might be the target of violence, right? And so if you didn't experience physical violence, you might feel the emotional trauma and fear of a human woman walking down the street right? In fact, I remember it was in that same trip when I was out in Silicon Valley that a colleague that I was with who happened to be a man, he and I were walking to an event and he's a super fast walker. And I had been on my feet all day long and I was tired of trying to keep up. And so he walked probably 10 feet ahead of me and I just kind of gently strolled behind him. And you know, I get the normal cat calling stuff that happens in a city, men saying all sorts of inappropriate things as I'm walking down the street. We got to the restaurant, he turned to me and he said does that happen to you every time you walk down the street? And I said, what? Does what happen? And I'm wondering what he's talking about. He's like, all that stuff people were saying. I was like, oh, that. Yeah, of course it does. I'm a human woman, right? (laughs) That's part of it. And so there's these types of little T traumas. And then there's the big T traumas, which are actually having been violated, abused, You know, the statistics for women, one out of three women are sexually abused within our country. One out of five women will be sexually assaulted while they're in college. And so there are these big T traumas. So we carry this with us. And when we have that type of trauma in our life, it causes a stress reaction. It causes a trauma reaction. And so as I go over in a moment, these ways that you can begin to reclaim some time to rest. I want you to grant yourself a little grace. I want you to understand that it, it, you might not be resting just because you haven't made the time or because you haven't learned how to schedule it. You might not be resting because when you do, you might feel things. In fact, Dr. Valerie Rain has recently written a book called The Patriarchy Stress Disorder, which is my new biggest read. I haven't finished it yet, but I have a feeling that when I do, we'll do an entire series of episodes about it. She said something really powerful. She said, a woman's power has been a punishable offense throughout history. And so we're just going to hold some space for that. I want to create a little bit of grace and a little bit of gentleness for you around that, because there is a direct correlation to how much time we give ourselves to breathe and rest and how powerful we feel and are in the world. And so resting equals having more power, which is something we all know we want, but there might be other things that are getting in the way. And if you sense that some amount of trauma might have affected your nervous system, like myself and like many women, get her book, Patriarchy Stress Disorder. I will put a link to it in my show notes, and I'm in no way affiliated with her. This is not an affiliate situation. I'm just recommending this because I think all human women would benefit from reading this book. And frankly, anybody who knows a human woman. So that's personal trauma, right? This is the kind of personal trauma that all women have experienced, but there's also ancestral trauma. And so the emerging field of epigenetics is a really interesting scientific field of study. We are becoming aware now that memories are actually stored within our DNA for survival purposes. So memories are passed down. For example, The first of our ancestors, however many thousands of years ago, that encountered a lion and survived had such a stress response that that response was encoded within their genetics so that future generations would know to be scared when they see a lion and that their rate of survival would go up. Now, Mark Woolen, he is North America's leader in inherited family trauma. He wrote a great book called It Didn't Start With You, where he explains, I love This really specific scientific research on epigenetics in a very doable way and gives great example of of how epigenetics can show up for us. But what we're understanding now is that the trauma, not just in your life, but in your mother's life and your grandmother's life and her grandmother's life, going back for as long as our DNA goes back, also holds trauma. So for example, I live here in New England, where less than 100 years ago, women who were powerful or unwilling to conform to the norm were literally burned at the stake. And so that messaging has been encoded in our DNA and it has been passed on. So I know that this, kind of, this conversation took an interesting turn, right? Because here we are thinking we're just talking about rest, but we've got to give it some cultural context. Because if any of what I'm speaking to you about right now about personal or ancestral trauma resonates, that is a place you might dare to go. Because we need to begin to heal our nervous systems. What happens if we experience trauma is our nervous system initiates that stress response more than it actually needs to. Because it is trying to keep us safe. It's not because something's wrong. It's because your nervous system and its infinite wisdom loves you and wants to take care of you and is doing its best to keep you alive. However, it might not be of service to you now in this decade based on where you want to go. So that is the context. So now as I begin to go through these very specific doable things you can have or that you can do in order to have more time, I want you to be kind to yourself. So the first thing you can do in order to have more time to rest, ready? It's schedule it. (laughs) Schedule it. In my world, if it is not scheduled, it's probably not real. It's probably not going to happen. And so I schedule appointments like with my team, my assistant, or my podcast folks, or the person who cuts my hair, or a lawyer, or an accountant, or a doctor, and I don't bail on those appointments. Because of course I wouldn't. You know, if I said somebody, told somebody I'm coming, unless there's an extenuating circumstance, of course I'm going to be there. We need to do the same things for ourselves, So we actually schedule in moments to rest. And that might look like something as pragmatic as, Between when I turn on the coffee pot (laughs) to when I actually get to sip my coffee five minutes later, I'm going to sit and breathe or write in a journal or stretch my body while I'm standing here in the kitchen. Or when I get up to take a bathroom break at work, I'm going to circle the office just to move my body a little bit and reset my mental game. Or I'm going to rock out in the car to my favorite music because I've got to make this commute anyway and just reset my mind there. Rest is not always sleeping, right? Sometimes it is, and maybe that's exactly what would be of service to you. Sometimes resting is just getting to restore ourselves. And so we have to begin to schedule it in. On my particular calendar, I've noticed that I do better with my clients when I have integration time between appointments. So my appointments, while they're about one hour long, are no longer back-to-back. When somebody schedules a 60-minute appointment in my calendar, my calendar automatically blocks out an additional 30 minutes in between so that I have time to pee or get a, have a snack or go for a little walk or just do something different. And then I am fresh, sharp, and ready to go. So that's just one example of how you might schedule things. So step number one in having more time to rest, it's kind of obvious when we say it out loud, but it makes all the difference we schedule it. And if you don't have tons of time, that is a-okay. You start with one minute here and one minute there, and you build yourself up. And you will begin to build yourself up and have more time because as you rest, you will get clearer about some things that you no longer need to do. You will stop trying to do all of the things and begin to be able to tell what actually makes sense for you to be doing right now. So number one thing, if you want to have more time to rest, schedule it. Number two Set boundaries. We've got to up our boundary game. So, not only are we going to schedule it, but then we are going to guard that time like a mother bear guards her cubs, and we're not going to schedule over it. In fact, I was just in a workshop this weekend led by Kate Northrup at Kripalu Center, one of her do less workshops, which if you ever have the opportunity to work with Kate Northrup, go hop on it, go do it. But I shared something out loud that I don't think I'd ever shared with anybody before, which was that in my calendar, It will actually say, right after I've done something big, like a big work project, the next day might be blocked off either a few hours or a whole day. And it will say, don't you dare. (laughs) And don't you dare is my signal to myself. That means don't you dare schedule something here. Because I know that in the moment that somebody asks me to do something, I'm almost always genuinely enthusiastic and excited to do it. I want to do all the things and I get excited and I tell myself, it'll be okay. It's just this one thing. And I squeeze it into my rest time. And the next thing you know, it's not okay. I'm resentful. It's not just one thing. And I'm feeling behind. So we have to set boundaries. Now, setting boundaries, we did an entire episode on that. It's one of our first episodes. Go back and listen to that episode if you could use a little bit shoring up because I went over the five specific steps to having doable boundaries. Or you can get the entire free Boundaries Like a Boss course on my website. Totally free. It's an online course. You do it in about 40 minutes. It comes with a beautiful master sheet guidebook that you get to keep forever. Totally free. Nothing for sale. I'm making a little note to myself right now to make sure we put up a link to that on my website. So go to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast, and you will see the link to the Boundaries Like a Boss course in the um, show notes for this episode. So now I've got the third one. Step one and step two, pretty straightforward. Step three, step three is revolutionary. Step three is the kind of methodology that I have built my entire business around but I didn't realize what I was doing until I was at this workshop just this past weekend with Kate Northrup, and she shared egg wisdom. Egg wisdom is something that she talks about in her book, Do Less, which I'll also put a, a link to. Now, check this out. Did you know <laughs> that when an egg is in the womb, it begins to emit a frequency, it begins to send out a signal? telling the sperm where it is. And the sperm are able to sense that frequency and they begin to swim faster. Their little tails begin to kick harder and they can beeline directly to where the egg is. And then once the sperm gets to the egg, they all try to get in. Now, if you remember those old videos, and even when I was growing up, we were still watching old footage from the 50s, these black and white videos of a little egg in a petri dish and all the sperm attacking it. And and what, we, what it looked like was that the sperm were all doing its best to break in and whichever sperm pushed the hardest would be the one that got to fertilize the egg. Well, what we actually know now to be true is that it is the egg that chooses which sperm will come through. The egg actually opens. So all these sperm are trying to come through, but only the one that the egg selects gets to fertilize the egg, gets to join with the egg. And then check this out. The egg has the capability to heal the parts of the DNA in that sperm that are not functioning at its optimal state. The egg can heal what is in the sperm that isn't working. And not only does it heal it as the two merge, the egg packs a snack because the egg has enough nourishment to sustain both itself and the sperm while they were fertilizing until they can drift together over to the edge of the uterus and implant and get the rest of their nourishment. So check this out. The egg is not running all over the womb. Trying to do all the things, trying to look good for the sperm, trying to get all the sperm's attention. No, the egg is clear on its function and where it is. And then it emits a frequency that allows the sperm to come to it. And then the egg has boundaries because here's all these opportunities for fertilization. It takes its sweet time and picks the sperm that is the correct match for what it wants. And then it has the power to heal. And women, especially women that are rested, we all carry the power to heal. And then, of course, we all pack snacks because it's what we do. <laughs> in our purse or around the house, we're always thinking about when the next meal is, right? We have, we have this capacity to be deeply nourished. But I think we live in a culture that's working on sperm wisdom where everyone's running around like a chicken with their head cut off, trying to do all the things, because there's this myth that if we don't do it all, it will fall apart. When really, on a biological level, our body knows how to slow down, stand in its own truth, set boundaries, only select what works for us, and to heal. And so if you are feeling particularly inspired by this step, I encourage you to live into the first two, schedule your time to rest, learn the art of boundaries. If you don't know how to do them yet, it's just because nobody taught you, because nobody taught any of us <laughs> how to have healthy boundaries, what that looks like. So go to the website, get that information, and then live in to a little bit of what Kate Northrup calls egg wisdom. How can I let things come to me? And I wanna give you an example of what that can actually look like living into some egg wisdom. And this is a story where a client told me how pissed off they were with me. So I had a, a new client and she had just hired me and I always like to ask people who are new, you know, how did you hear about me and what made you what made you sign up for a session? And when I asked her that, she said, look, Carly, I'm gonna be really honest. I signed up because you royally pissed me off. I was at a networking event and I was telling, you know, everybody my name and then introducing myself and handing out business cards and nobody was particularly interested in my work. And the entire time I watched you sitting at the end of a table You never got up. You were drinking your cup super slow and everybody was coming to you. And I watched you sign up a number of people to come do a one time private session with you. And frankly, I was furious because here I am working my tail off and you're like sitting on your butt. And I want to know how you do it. Like, what's your secret sauce? And this caused me to open my eyes so wide because she didn't know the back to that story. And this is where today's episode is going to come full circle. See, when I went to that networking event, that was the first professional event I went to after Adam had passed away. In fact, it was one of the first times I had left the house. And it was so difficult for me to get myself out the door that I promised myself just showing up to that event in any capacity would be a win. In fact, I don't even like traditional networking events. I think that is the only traditional networking event I've been to in at least seven years. And I told myself, if I just show up, that's good enough. If I get a shower and get out the door, that's a win for the day. I don't have to talk to anybody. I don't have to hand out cards. I'll just do that, come home, get on with the day. And I got there a few minutes late, went up to the counter. There was a big, long table of everybody. The meeting had already started. There's probably 20 people there. Got my tea, sat down, and just knew that I had no energy (laughs) to stand up and walk around. And when people asked me what I did for a living, I gave them a quick answer, and then I asked them what they did for a living. And I sat there at the end of the table and got to have deep, meaningful conversations with people who were passionate about their careers. And for me, it was such a break to get out of my own head. As I mentioned earlier, I couldn't wait to hear more about what they're doing. I didn't care at all about what I was doing. I was really sick of what was going on in my world in that moment. And wouldn't you know what a number of people said, Carly, how can I work with you? Where do I sign up? What's the next step? And it was just the most obvious logical reason. See, when we dare to pause and not chase everything, it is a remarkable way of standing out in a room, rather literally or metaphorically, for our careers and in our lives. We all want to be around the person that's just slightly more nourished than we are. And we don't even always know why right? We gravitate to the people that are genuinely happy, that seem to be energized or doing the things that they really care about. And I invite you to give yourself the courtesy of playing with that kind of egg wisdom and seeing what is possible for you. Now, I know I shared a lot today, but now I want to hear what's bubbling up for you. Of all these things that I shared, what is one thing That if you didn't have to do it all, if you didn't have to be a thousand sperm, if you could just be one egg and stand in your truth, what is one thing that you do not want to forget from today because it's really landing with you or it's sparked a thought or a feeling or something that you want to pursue? I want you to take that baby and write it down. There's a lot of research that indicates that we are 45% more likely to live into something if we write it down. And check this we are 65% more likely to live into it if we tell somebody else about it. So tell me about it. Post a screenshot of it, of you listening to this episode with what stood out for you on social media and tag me or put a comment up on iTunes or send me a private message if this is something personal and I'll personally write back on Facebook or Instagram. And we just realized I might be, I'm not sure, the only person on the planet with my name. So I'm particularly easy to find on Instagram. Carly Fane. <laughs> so really be in this conversation with you. Let this be the start of something that we continue to live into. And if you know a woman that you know is craving a little bit of rest, please share this episode with her. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.